Well, very happy new year to you and welcome to St. Martin in the Fields. A particular welcome to those joining us online and those joining us for the first time. Welcome to great sacred music and today we're celebrating the Epiphany a little bit ahead of its uh, day on Saturday. Epiphany, what does it mean? Appearing, showing, revelation. It focuses traditionally on the story of the Magi coming from a place called Afar to worship the baby Jesus. The story of the star represents the way God reveals the truth of all things, not just to Jews, but to Gentiles. If you remember Luke's emphasis very much on the socially disadvantaged, the shepherds, but still within the people of Israel, but Matthew's emphasis on the Gentiles, the people that came from afar. Uh, and if you think about it, this, this has shaped the way Christians think about other faiths represented by the Magi themselves and about science represented by the Magi's sighting of the star. In both cases, if you think about it, the structure of the story uh, is telling us that our wisdom can get us to Jerusalem, but only revelation represented in the story by the chief priests and the scribes searching the scriptures and finding a line in the prophet Micah. Only revelation get us, can get us that short extra step from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, from the palace where you expect to find the king to the stable where the king is in fact born. Now it's our tradition at Great Sacred Music to begin with a hymn that we all sing together, which we're going to do now. If you haven't got a sheet in front of you and you're in the building, then do pick one up from the handful that are still left just at the back of the center aisle. Uh, this one's written by William Chatterton Dix. Why is he such an important person? Because he went to the same school that I did in <laughs> Bristol, Bristol Grammar School. That was his chief distinction. But he also wrote this hymn on the day of the Epiphany while sick in bed in 1860. So if you're not feeling that smart tomorrow, then write an Epiphany hymn. Uh, it's got four verses. The first is about the star. The second, interestingly, makes a connection between the manger in which Jesus was born and the mercy seat, going back to the tradition uh, of, the, of the ancient first temple in Jerusalem. Then we've got a, a verse about the gifts, and then it gets all very pious. Holy Jesus, every day keep us in the narrow way. Uh, and then we have this even more pious, interesting connection uh, in the last verse between the star in heaven and the place where we will need no star to guide us in heaven itself. A nice connection uh, for the final verse. We remain seated, the voices stand and lead us as we sing as with gladness men of old.
Now we're going to hear a couple of pieces about the wise men. The first by Jacob Handel. Poor old Jacob Handel didn't know in the 16th century when he was composing prolifically in Slovenia, he was going to spend the rest of eternity being known as not that Handel. Um, but this is a playful rendering of uh, the wise men story using the Old Testament text. According to Western church tradition, Balthazar is often represented as a king of Arabia, Melchior as a king of Persia, and Caspar as a king of India. Saba, which is mentioned significantly in this anthem, is a reference to Yemen. The Eastern Church, by the way, in case you didn't know, thinks there were 12 magi. So just imagine how many anthems there would have been about them. Then we're going to have here is The Little Door, a contemporary composition. Uh, in 1916, Herbert Howells was diagnosed with Graves' disease and given only a short time to live. Radium injections were largely successful in providing a cure but left the composer weak. In his convalescence, he wrote Here is the Little Door as part of a set of three between 1918 and 1920. Its text is a tender poem by Francis Chesterton the wife of poet and writer G.K. Chesterton, and what a long-suffering woman she must have been to be that. In the poem, gold is for a king, incense represents prayer, and myrrh means death. The poem suggests the gifts were genuinely for the baby rather than simply symbolic.
Now, again, we're going to pair uh, an ancient carol with a more contemporary piece. The Coventry Carol is an English Christmas carol dating from the 16th century. Carol was traditionally performed in Coventry as part of a mystery play called The Pageant of the Shearmen and the Tailors. The play depicts the Christmas story from chapter 2 in the Gospel of Matthew. Carol itself refers to the massacre of the innocents in which Herod ordered all male infants under the age of two in Bethlehem to be killed and takes the form of a lullaby sung by mothers of the doomed children. A rather poignant, uh, a rather poignant carol to be listening to at this particular time. Carol is the second of three songs included in the nativity play originally performed by the city's guilds. I think these guys are a little bit better than the city's guilds of Coventry. Then we have no small wonder. One November morning in 1983, the young composer Paul Edwards gathered up his week's bundle of laundry and was about to leave for the local laundrette when he found a letter from the poet Paul Wigmore. In the laundrette, he loaded the machine, read the poem, grabbed a scrap of manuscript paper and wrote this carol, No Small Wonder. It was first performed in the service of Nine Lessons and Carols at King's College, Cambridge in 2000.
Well, it's time for us all to sing uh, again now, and we're going to sing a hymn by the redoubtable J.B. Monsell, an Irishman who moved to England in the middle of his uh, clergy career. His great tragedy of his life was that his son died on the way to the Crimean War. He had a predilection for restoring churches, which proved to be fatal because he died after the f a fall from his church roof when he was rector of St. Nicholas Church in Guildford. In fact, if you go to Guildford, just close to the station, you can see a little sign. Uh, it's almost like a, one of those, um, those stories that give you a little warning. Don't be a rector who decides to be too active on your church roof. Um, if you're inspired by my words about the previous hymn, where William Chatham Dix is writing while he was sick at Epiphany, you um, may be inspired by the fact that J.B. Monsell wrote some really terrible hymns, uh, including Fight the Good Fight with All Thy Might, that you might remember. Um, but this is really, he hit the jackpot with, O Worship the Lord in the Beauty of Holiness. This has to be one of the great hymns in the English language. Why? Because it gives a whole theology of worship just five verses, two of which, as you may have noticed, are the same. He repeats the first verse at the end, uh, not just for the sake of it, but because he encapsulates, literally, the whole of worship within this story of gold of obedience and incense of lowliness, as he calls it. Um, and just the, the undulation of the lines is magnificent. They're probably as long as any lines in any hymn that we regularly sing and then he matches the 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 structure of uh, the rhymes carefulness prayerfulness slenderness tenderness fearfulness and tearfulness all within the structure of holiness and loneliness what he's doing is he's he's making the story of the wise men the definitive story of worship that provides an example for all of our worship, and then he's got an, a wonderful perception as to what the nature of worship is from the believer's point of view. So if you just look at the last line of the middle three verses, guiding thy steps as my best for thee be. How many people come into a church either on a Sunday or on a day like this looking for God's guidance as to what they should do? These are the offerings to lay on his shrine at the end of verse three. Uh, and again, a very simple pastoral response to say, these are my possessions, these are my personal talents. What should I do with them for the, the best uh, of the world and God's kingdom? That's, there it is in the end of verse 3. And then trust for our trembling and hope for our fear, probably the most common mood in which people pray is when they're frightened uh, and don't know what to do for the best. So he's got a wonderful pastoral gift. He's got an amazing poetic gift and he writes his own tunes. Let's remain seated and uh, the voices will stand and lead us as we sing this wonderful hymn.
coming towards the end of Great Sacred Music, this first one of the year. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. If you have, there's an opportunity to make a donation uh, in a retiring cash collection as you leave or by swiping a card as you leave. You're also welcome to donate by text. And on the website, you can find the details. You can even get a QR code. It doesn't get more exciting than that. It's all on the back of the sheet. Do uh, come to our sister program, uh, 3.15 on Sundays, which resumes after the Advent and Christmas break uh, on Sunday, this Sunday, uh, uh, reflecting again on Epiphany and next Thursday, if you can make it in. And there's no excuses about tube strikes, you know, we do have buses and you can all walk. Um, it's going to be down by the riverside, we're going to be looking at music associated with the baptism of Christ. So we're going to finish on a lighter note with Follow That Star. Peter Gritton is Director of Music at James Allen's Girls' School in London. And here we reflect on the four journeys of Christmas. Uh, that of Joseph and Mary, most obviously. That of the shepherds to the stable. That of the wise men from afar. And fundamentally, the journey of God from heaven to earth in the incarnate Christ. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. 